0: chapter 8 verse 22 the Lord says while the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease I love that verse I walked out on my porch this morning holding in my left hand what I call the golden elixir of life (laughs) Irish breakfast tea And just stood looking out on the yard and we have these three birch trees in front of my house and they're all dropping leaves. They're all yellow and golden and, and falling to the ground and the, the slow drip of last night's rain, I could hear that. And I just, I thought of this verse. Let me read it to you again while the earth remains. time and harvest, cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So that's God's promise to us. And that was free this morning. You don't have to pay for that. But, uh, Father, we just praise you for your faithfulness. And we praise you for your consistency and your goodness. And that you are always the same. Lord Jesus, as we often like to say around here, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And we know that regardless of the changing seasons, regardless of the upheaval in the world, that we can always count on you and that you are true to your word. Even to the point, Lord Jesus, where we know seed time and harvest and cold and heat, all these things will continue to roll in sequence until you're finished, Father, until you're done. And even then, we know the promise is we may live with you forever. So we praise you this morning and we worship you. We thank you for the changing seasons But more, we thank you for your constancy. And we ask, Lord, that you would be blessed this morning. That's our desire. That's why we came here, not to be blessed, but to bless the name of Jesus and to worship you and to honor you. So be honored, Lord, in our praise, in our hearts, in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? No hard incidents this week among us that I know of. That's good. So, We'll be in Genesis chapter 7, so you can turn in your Bibles there, Genesis 7. We'll do the whole chapter this morning, give you kind of a Wednesday night approach to a Sunday morning. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. And then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came about after seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. And the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast after its kind. And all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed in or closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days. And the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out everything that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. I wanted you to hear the whole thing. And to go straight through the chapter and understand the the gravity of the flood. We can talk about the flood, and there are everything from famous old paintings to childhood pictures of the flood. But the gravity of what really took place is immense. It's frightening. It should be frightening. This was a massive judgment. This was the first great judgment. There will be a second. And when God speaks his word, he speaks it seriously seriously. And legitimately, you know, people have questioned the whole ark story. We spent a lot of time Wednesday night talking about how you could fit all these animals into the ark, and it's not a big problem when you do the math. And when you read through what the Bible actually teaches about the flood, the specificity and the exacting nature of the language, tells us this is what happened. As we go through this, I want you to remember that this not only was a real event, but this real event foreshadowed another real event when God will judge the earth again. We had, when I was a kid growing up, I've told you before, a family Bible. A lot of households had the family Bible back in the 50s and 60s especially, and it was a big white Bible with gold inlay on the front of it, beautiful, and it sat on a little wooden stand next to our fireplace in the living room. And in the days before, screens and Nintendo and gaming and iPhones and iPads and all kinds of things to keep us occupied, I got bored easily. And I remember spending long hours looking through this big family Bible. Not reading it so much, but looking at the pictures. And there were many of them, famous paintings that were placed throughout the Bible. And I remember the most frightening one, at least to me, and it was the picture of the flood. I remembered it so vividly. I I sat in my office this week, again, thinking through and remembering the picture, and I thought, I wonder if I can find this online. So I Googled, and I found the picture. And it's a long expanse of nothing but water, as far as the eye can see, and rain coming down and thick black clouds overhead and a steely gray sky, and and an abutment of Granite looking like the top of a mountain sticking up in the foreground out of the water. And on the top of that mountain, two or three people reaching out. And way off in the distance, a big barge, a huge wooden boat. I I, I recall, I I tried to get back into that mindset of childhood and think about what I thought when I saw that. And and these were the days before I knew how to swim, so it was terrifying (coughs) to think about being on that rock and to realize there was a time in history where that exact thing took place, it it made a a big impression on me. It is estimated that anywhere from 10 to 17 billion people populated the earth in the days of Noah. That's a huge number. That's more than we have right now. Actually, if you're looking at what we have right now, we're about 7.7 billion today. There may have been more If you just, again, run the numbers. We don't know. We don't have anyone who can declare. I mean, Noah could have told us, but, you know, it's not written down. 10 to 17 billion people, and eight went into the ark. The rest went into the water. Among all the animals on the planet, as we talked about midweek, we can reasonably estimate some 75,000 sailed with Noah. (laughs) But given the volumetric capacity of the ark, once it was filled with all the requisite animals, each after their kind, along with Noah and the missus, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives, that massive barge would only have been 60% full. Plenty of room was left on the ark. For many more people to come in and find salvation from the devastation of the flood. Noah, as a preacher of righteousness, Peter tells us, 2 Peter 2, verse 5, he he might have entitled his favorite sermon something like, Come in from the Rain. Because we know during the entire construction of the ark, over 120 years, Noah was preaching. A preacher of righteousness. Noah was teaching. Noah was speaking. Why? Because God always makes provision for salvation. Yes, judgment was coming. But God was providing salvation. Yes, judgment is coming. But God is providing salvation. If you'll just enter the ark. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Just listen to this. John writes, My little children... I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, the utter cleansing of all our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. There's plenty of room on the ark. Plenty of room for salvation. No one needs to be left out. By this we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. What if Noah kept all the commandments of God but one? He didn't go into the boat. Built the boat, got everyone else in, took care of it but thought, I'm gonna go get a snack as the rain began to come down. What if he didn't follow through? John says, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself also walk in the same manner as he walked. See, the point is, the ark wasn't an exclusive thing. It wasn't an exclusive cruise ship, a a high-end, first-class, selective society Bilderberg boat. The ark was for anyone who would obey. Eight people did. The invitation today is for anyone who will say yes to the Lord, who will simply enter the ark. Well, let's walk this through. In chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, reads, Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark. You and all your household, For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You've been right with me, Noah. Righteous, righteousness, church-sounding words, good words, though, simply meaning being right with God. You've been right before me. This has been a right relationship. And as we have already seen, Noah wasn't right because he did it all right. Noah was right by faith. Righteous by faith, Habakkuk Chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. So first thing to understand is if you want to be right with God, trust him. If you want this idea of righteousness, if you want to be able to enter into salvation because you are a righteous person, you trust him. You trust him. Get on board, Noah. Okay, Lord. I'm going to make it flood, Noah. I believe you, Lord. Just trust Jesus. Now, I'm going to take this study this morning in three parts. And the first part is very simply family invitations. Family invitations. Because Noah trusted the Lord. Think about one man's impact or the impact of one man's righteousness. Noah's righteousness covered his entire household. Note again, he says, enter the ark, you and all your household, for you I have seen to be right. Noah, you're right. Bring your family. Noah, you're righteous. Enter with your wife, your kids, their wives. We find that the righteous husband and father provided entrance. Stay with me and listen to this carefully. He provided entrance for his entire family into God's rescue ship. This is what Noah did. We see this repeated again down in verse 7. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark. We see it further down in verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons among them entered the ark. And again, all the way down in chapter 8, verse 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. There was a family invitation given. And it came through one man. It came through Noah. We see this again in the scriptures. A man by the name of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 24, it tells us that Cornelius and his relatives and his close friends in that passage, they all got saved. I love the story because Peter is preaching to them. They're Gentiles, but Peter has now been sent by God. He's learning a lesson. Peter's preaching what I'm sure he thought was a great message, but before he was even done, everybody's speaking in tongues. They're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter hasn't even finished his message because the message wasn't the thing. The Spirit was the thing. And God's Spirit showed up and saved these people, and Peter said, wow, guess we ought to get them baptized. And so they all got baptized in water. Why? Because Cornelius had faith. The invitation went to his family and his friends. The faith of one man. What about the jailer in Philippi? The man who put Paul and Silas in prison, locked them up, and when they were freed in Acts 16.31, he got saved. But the Bible says he and all his household were saved and baptized that very night. Because of one man's faith, an entire household comes on board a Philippian jailer an Italian centurion a boat builder these are the people in your neighborhood in your neighborhood these are common people you know you've got a soldier a jailer a builder these are just average folk people like you people like me and sometimes we think and I'm speaking to Christians we think what impact can I have what can I really do you can be right with God And by being right with God, your life becomes an open invitation to the ark, to salvation. Your life becomes a a, a written invitation to other people that they too can come in and be saved. Normal guys, normal gals like us whose faith deeply affected their family and their friends. Ask yourself the question this morning, do I really believe that my faith could save my entire family? Many of us don't believe that. Well, Rick, you don't know my family. No, I do. I have great faith. (laughs) My faith, just one person. We get so worried about all that we see around us, just be right with God. Trust in the Lord. Live a life of trust and let him do the work. Let the invitation go out through you. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying that your righteous obedience will save other people. That's on them. And actually, legitimately, it's God's grace that saves. It's no action or behavior of mine. But my trust in the Lord becomes in and of itself an invitation to the ark An invitation to God's provision of salvation. Remember what I said when we began, God always makes provision for salvation. And if you are drawing breath, if a family member, if a friend is drawing breath, no matter how far down the road of rebellion they may seem to be, the provision for salvation is there and your life may be the invitation to it. Just like Noah. We need to think this way, brothers and sisters, because... A flood's coming, judgment's coming. Second thing to note, final preparations. Final preparations, and this gets a little stirring for me. I think a little Fearful almost, because it says in verse two, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and a female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female, also of the birds of the sky, by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth, for after seven more days I will send rain. You're a week out, Noah. You've been working on this thing 120 years. One week, countdown, tick, tick, tick. What would you do if you knew you had one week left? One week to the end of the world. It's over. One week, Noah. Final preparations. Now, it's interesting to me that as the animals migrated to Noah, two by two, additional clean animals and birds were required. The Lord says, I, I want to make sure there's, there's plenty here. We need birds, seven of, uh, of each of the, of the clean birds. Why? They, they would be, as it says, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. Some of your Bibles better translate that to keep seed alive. We need a lot of birds after the flood. Why? They're gonna scatter seed. They're gonna keep seed spread out across the planet. They're gonna carry seed. Birds do that. Birds carry and scatter seed. This was an important part of the plan of God to reseed the earth so the birds would be scattering. So bring extra birds. Put them up in the rafters. There's room. Let them flip around and flap around like they do, used to do in the barn. Boy, I hated those birds. <laughs> Dive bombing during the preaching. Everybody would be like this. And you know, I'm like, look at me. And they're like, oh, look at the birds. <laughs> Trying to white out my notes, it happened. <laughs> Plenty of birds were needed, but clean animals, note this, clean animals were also necessary. Clean animals. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 3, Moses gives the definition. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals, these you may eat. And then if you go further, Deuteronomy chapter 14 gives a detailed listing of clean animals. And and there are a few animals that, that are similar to clean animals but are listed as, but don't eat these. And verse 2 tells us, in final preparation for the flood, these were to be taken into the ark by sevens, by sevens. Now, quick correction, midweek, I think I said five. I don't know why, it was just off the top of my head, but it's seven. Seven of each of the clean animals. Now, now some say this means uh, two of each of the clean animals, and there's some commentaries out there that say, so 14 clean animals were on the ark, just two of each of seven. But the Hebrew phrase here, you shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, it's an interesting phrase, it's Shaba shabba, which is seven and seven. You might translate it this way, because this is the idea, you shall take with you seven and seven and seven and seven and seven and seven. And seven. In other words, seven of each of the different species of clean animals. And I think that's what was really said there. I think that's what's implied. I want you to take seven of each of all of these clean animals. Again, plenty of room on the ark, so that's not a problem. But why? Why seven of each of the clean animals and just two of the unclean animals? And the first reason is steak. (laughs) You know, there's, there's room for all God's creatures on earth right next to my mashed potatoes and gravy. But seriously, for the very first time after the flood, humans were allowed to eat meat. It was all vegetarianism before then. You can read that in your scriptures, and we'll find that as we come to the end of the flood story in chapter 9. But additional clean animals would be needed for this because even before the law, God was telling mankind what's healthy, what's good to eat. Eat the clean animals, don't eat the unclean animals. Your basic dogs, cats, pigs, bats, unclean. Don't eat those. By the way, how many of you let your dog lick your face? I'm just curious. Can I just say to you, unclean, unclean. Some say, well, I heard dog spit was antibacterial. It is for dogs. But doggy kisses can transfer Bow Wow bacteria (laughs) even cause allergic reactions in human beings. They're they're finally figuring this out. Maybe it's just not a good idea to share smoochies with your poochies, okay? (laughs) But it wasn't just for steak. We know that's one of the reasons. Bring extra of the clean animals as they get off the ark and they can reproduce and you'll have more of them because now mankind is going to start to eat meat. But it was also for sacrifice, for sacrifice. Skip down to Verse 8 for a moment. Look down at verse 8. Of clean animals and and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps in the ground, there went into the ark two Noah by twos, male and female, as God commanded Noah. And that's not a contradiction there. I know it says by twos, but think about this. Divide seven by two. And you get... Okay, you get, yeah, three and a half. Good. So you have three pairs... And one left over. Why would there be one left over down in chapter 8, verse 20? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This was God's expectation. And God's plan was that there would still be three pairs of clean animals, but the seventh would be a sacrifice. The seventh was prepared even before the flood to be a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord. So stake and sacrifice required more clean animals as God is preparing Noah to receive all these different kinds. Verse four, for after seven more days, he says, I will send rain. On the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. You may recall they had not had rain at this point, at least according to the biblical record, that the earth was watered as the dew came up from underneath. Kind of the groundwater kept things watered. It was a very tropical condition at the time. Scientists look back and think there was that water canopy that was around the earth, and so a very warm tropical environment, and they didn't need rain. It just came up from under and kept things well watered. Plenty of water was on the earth and in the earth as we've understood even today but they hadn't seen rain I'm going to send rain in seven days I will blot out from the face of the land everything that I have made and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth and if you are in retirement and not serving in children's ministry <laughs> no I'm, I'm kidding but don't think you're done don't think you're done. Well, I'm in my 80s now and I've done my bit for country and church and God. No, no, you're not done. You're here. You're not done. But I'm tired. I get it. But I'm a little weary. I understand. But my muscles ache. I know. Noah was 600 years old. Well, yeah, but that was back then. It doesn't matter. 600 is 600. I don't care who you are. 600, that's, that's an old guy. 600 years old. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Again, of the clean animals and birds that are not clean, or animals that are not clean, and birds and everything, there went Noah to the ark, by twos, male and female, as God had commanded him. So seven days, and all this has taken place in those final seven days. Here come the animals and all the preparation and getting ready, final prep, getting up to the ark. Seven days, why? Why seven days? Interesting question. Why is it pointed out? I mean, I understand you could say, well, he's just letting us know it's the final week. Yeah, but but he says it several times, and he's very focused on there are seven days left. Why? Well, the rabbis suggest that it was seven days of mourning for Methuselah. Remember Methuselah's name, in his death it shall come, and he was the son of Enoch the prophet, and Methuselah was the oldest living man because God is waiting and waiting to send the flood. And in the year of Methuselah's death, the flood came. And so the old rabbis, they believe, they teach, and they don't really have proof for it, but they just teach, yeah, that's that's that seventh day of mourning for Methuselah who died right before the flood. It's an interesting thought. But listen, the ark built and stocked, critters coming in. One week till the flood, seven days to the end of the age, seven days to the end of the age. Does that ring any bells with anybody? How long is the tribulation period as described in the scriptures? Seven years. There will be seven years to the end of the age, once that time frame begins. Daniel chapter nine, I'll just read this to you, verse 27 says, he, speaking of Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one seven, one shabuim. It says weak in your Bibles, the word is not weak, it's one seven, one period of seven. But in the middle of the seven, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Seven days mark the end of the post-flood age, just as seven years will mark the end of this age. But you know what's marvelous? Before that, that is before that week, well before that, actually, Enoch was raptured. Enoch was caught up. Just as before the final seven of this age, there will be a rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. There will be a rapture. Revelation chapter four, verse one, where the Lord Jesus says, come up here. And those of the faith of Enoch, the righteousness of Enoch, those who just trust God and walk with God like Enoch, will go up before the judgment comes down. One thing I I need to say to you rapture-ready enthusiasts, and I'm only going to say it once, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait to be caught up. And what I mean by that is that verse 6 again tells us that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, 500 years old when Shem was born, 480 years old when he began construction on the ark, And the point is it doesn't matter if you're 448 or 480 or 550 or 500, 6, 16, 60, or 600 years old. If you're on the earth, you are on the earth for God's good pleasure. You're here for his purposes. 480 years old, and he started building an ark. Why? That's why Noah was on the earth. That was God's plan for Noah. That was God's good pleasure for his servant Noah. If you're living and breathing, yeah, but my life is a complete catastrophe, doesn't matter. Oh, my life is easy going. doesn't matter. If you're here, you're here on God's good pleasure. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, process it, pray it through, grow in your faith, think about it, live it out. Paul says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, (laughs) not yours, not mine. Now, he is a God who gives good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. And he does so much and blesses, and he loves to bless his children. Will he not give you good things, the Bible says? Of course he does. Of course he will. But if you're here, Don't miss that God's got something beautiful to do through you. Something remarkable yet to show you. Don't miss it. I've told you, and you're aware of this, that Cheryl's grandfather is 101 years old, or 103, depending on the day you ask him. And he's just moved up here. He's had to, listen, in the last month, He's had to leave the home of his retirement on a golf course in Southern California and move into an apartment at Regency in Oak Harbor. And he's trying to wrap his mind around this event so late in life, 101 years old. And as Cheryl was talking to him and sharing with him and trying to prepare him for the fact that he needed to be up here and needed to be closer to us where we could be in his life more, she heard something from the Lord. I've got something beautiful I want to show him. Cheryl shared that with me on the phone several weeks ago, and, and I heard that, and, and I mean, it just it struck a chord. I'm like, Cheryl, that's the Lord. And she goes, I know it's the Lord. And I said, no, I'm confirming. That's, <laughs> that's where you heard that, because it just something rose up in my heart to say, yes, That tell him that. She goes, I did tell him. Tell him again. And we've told him over and over, Grandpa, God's still got something. Why am I still here at 101. God's got something beautiful yet to show you, yet to do in you and through you. If you are here, don't miss the beautiful thing before you. I promise you it's out there. God is working. God is doing something yet in your life. Psalm one thirty nine sixteen says, "Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet, when as yet there was not one of them." In other words, you ordained my days. It doesn't mean that they're automatic and forced and and predetermined. It's that he gave us each the days before us. He planned the days before us to walk in with him for his good pleasure. And when I get that my days were formed by God before one of them came to be, I understand my every breath is for his good pleasure. Build a boat, Noah. Okay, Lord. If that's what you're asking me to do at 480, I'll start swinging the hammer. Note in verse 5 that Noah did all according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now, note this, because it's a beautiful part of this whole thing. God commanded Noah, but who got the animals to the ark? Who brought them in? God did. Noah didn't go looking for the animals. And the Bible's very clear on that fact, and people go, how could one man go all over the entire earth and get all the animals into that? I mean, that's just false. The cynic will say that. The cynic hasn't read the story. Because the story is very clear that God brought the animals. No, I didn't get a single one. World's first mass migration. Some will say, yeah, but how did the kangaroos get there from Australia? One landmass. We were one landmass. We'll find this out as we get to the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, talking about Peleg, who was there when the earth was divided. There was a dividing that happened, I believe, through the flood. was a big part of the division of, of continent and the changing around of the earth. But at that time, you didn't have to go far. So the kangaroos came, and the animals came, and they all just came marching in, and all Noah had to do was receive them at the door. Welcome, Mr. and Mrs. Hippo. <laughs> Shem, show them to their rooms. You know, nice to have you, Mr. and Mrs. Orangutan. Head on in. (laughs) By the way, I'm so glad to hear this. This week, a judge in Argentina granted legal personhood to a 33-year-old orangutan named Sandra. Good for her. (laughs) You know, it doesn't take the mind of a monkey to understand the Bible, to understand the Scriptures, and my part in keeping the commandments of God is just believing and receiving That's what I do. I stand at the door of salvation, and and I I just make invitation. And I receive what God is doing, and I believe in what God is doing. I just have to get on board with the Lord. That's righteousness. I'm not sent out into the world. Now, now that doesn't mean that God's not going to send you Noah did have a lot of building to do over a long period of time. That was part of what he was asked to do by the Lord. But when it came to the saving of the world and the drawing even of the animals in mass migration, God was doing that. And if one other human being, had there been nine people on the ark, that one other human being would have been led to the ark, not by Noah, but by the Lord. Because Jesus even says, no one comes to me unless, Father, unless you draw them to me. Well, I thought our lives were supposed to be invitations. Yes, but the Spirit's doing the work. You're just resting in the Lord. You're trusting in the Lord. You're living for the Lord. You're sharing the fact that you believe in the Lord, and in so doing, he does the work. He gives the commandments, and then he does everything necessary for the commandments to be fulfilled in your life. What do I do? I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I love my neighbor as myself. Which brings us now, tragically, to part three, the flood's devastation. The flood's devastation. Family invitation, final preparations, and the flood's devastation. Verse 10, it came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, listen to the specificity of when it happened Okay, no other flood account or cultural ancient cultural flood story, and there are many, no other account is this specific and exacting in detail. On the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights." One day, it started raining, and it didn't quit for five months. We've been through every kind of rain there is, little bitty stinging rain, big old fat rain, rain that flew in sideways, and sometimes rain seemed to come straight up from underneath. Thank you, for a scump. Nobody has ever seen rain like the flood. It came down and it came up. 40 days and 40 nights over all the earth. And the number 40 in the Bible always indicates judgment, trial, or purification which is very interesting to me. Some of you have read 40 Days of Purpose or the Purpose Driven Life or the Purpose Driven Church and all the the Rick Warren Purpose Driven stuff. And he, he talks about the idea of having a 40 days of purpose. And I find that interesting because 40 days always represents judgment or purification or trial or hardship in the Bible. Moses wandered for 40 years in the deserts of Midian caring for sheep before God made him a shepherd over his people. The children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land would journey for 40 years. 38 of those in the wilderness being taught to truly trust the Lord, who they were showing no trust in before. They suffered. They struggled. It was difficult. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days till David arrived. Elijah, one of the more amazing stories in the Bible is Elijah not, not taking on the 400 prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtorea on Mount Carmel. That's an amazing story. But what's more amazing to me is after taking on all of those false prophets, he ran scared from one woman, Jezebel. Terrified for his life for 40 days of absolute silence. I would imagine crying out to the Lord, save me from the woman, protect me. She's coming after me, Lord. I alone of all the prophets am, am left. 40 days, nothing from God. No answer, utter silence. He ends up in a cave. And in that cave, it's the prophet Elijah. There's a statue of him on Mount Carmel. Big, powerful, no, no, a little wimpy guy in a cave is where he ended up. (laughs) Weeping. and, And after 40 days, you know, he heard the gentle blowing of the voice of God. Finally, Responding to him after the 40 days. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Purification, tempting, testing. Why was Jesus tested? So that we could know he was sure. So we could be assured that he was true. And it's often through times of hardship and trial and pain and difficulty that great things come for those who will just trust the Lord. So if you're in the midst of a 40-day period of trial, trust the Lord. Just trust He'll get you through it. He'll make you better for it. He'll purify you in it, just as the world had to be purified for 40 days and 40 nights. And note this in the second part of verse 11, that all the fountains... Of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. Do you remember the formation of creation? Back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, it tells us that God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse or the firmament and separated the waters which were below the expanse, from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. Now, Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 5, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. And roughly 1,650 or so years after creation, that's exactly what happened. It wasn't just the waters above coming down, the waters below were coming up. This is what is meant when you hear the word deluge, an absolute inundation. Job 38, 16, the Lord said, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? God knows what's down there. God knew what was under the earth. And the first thing that we see happening as the floodwaters began to rise, we see all the fountains of the great deep bursting open, ripped open. The Bible has long taught something that we only somewhat recently have come to understand. And that is there were subterranean springs and water systems in the earth Hydrogeologists now get this. They completely agree with this. We talk about wetlands. And I'm so thankful that we figured this out, that that as a a church, we have a requirement, we actually get to water our wetlands. If they're wetlands. I'm I'm failing to understand this requirement. (laughs) And don't plant on your wetlands. We don't want them to dry up. Well, if they're wetlands, don't they know what they're doing? Anyway, subterranean waterways. And these waterways, we believe, provided, especially early on, this perfectly balanced heating and cooling system for the earth. The water within the earth, remember, the Bible says that it would come up out of the earth to water, and so God provided within the very earth itself the water to come out and take care of things and keep it balanced, and and, and then to refresh and recycle the waters in the seas and lakes and oceans and rivers, and, and all that was prior to rain on the planet. So the flood apparently began from beneath as these fountains burst open. Creation scientists say it this way. This would begin a chain reaction leading to volcanic explosions and eruptions blowing great columns of magma and water and volcanic debris from the earth's core straight up and into the atmosphere. This atmospheric turbulence with the sudden expanding and cooling gases and debris could surge upward, penetrating the water canopy, causing a massive deluge of waters above the heavens to now come rushing down as the floodgates, the Bible tells us, of the sky are plowed apart. Which would be a good translation because the Hebrew word for opened, the floodgates of the sky were opened, is niptahu, which means to carve or to plow. It's like God ripped the canopy apart and down the water came. It was, think of this, you're on the planet, there's a barrage of water coming up and coming down. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. Verse 13, on the very same day, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Noah, Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark, verse 15, to Noah, by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. And the Lord closed behind him, and then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days. And the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The flood came on the earth. The word flood is mabul. Now that's probably worth noting because it is also translated deluge flood it is the only word used of the flood of noah in the hebrew scriptures and the only time the word mabul is used in the hebrew scriptures speaks of the flood so this word is specific to the flood this absolute horrifying deluge in the new testament which is in Greek primarily, Matthew 24:38. Jesus said, as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be? And the same word, the word in the Greek, that is the parallel word to mabul is kataklusmos, where we get cataclysm. And cataclysmos in the New Testament is the only word used to describe the flood. One word in the Hebrew, one word in the Greek for this massive event. Verse 18 continues saying, The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed, second time here, more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. And All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth. And all mankind, of all that was on the land, note this, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, Died. He says that twice, or at least a variation of it. Back in verse 15, he says, by twos of all flesh, in which which was the breath of life. So those breathing oxygen, but now he says, in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, and I think there's a distinction there, that animals have the breath of life, humanity has the breath of the spirit of life. Remember, God formed Adam of the dust of the ground and breathed into him. And we're talking about that eternal spirit that's given to humanity, which is different than simply breathing as animals can do. So there is a distinction there. But this is interesting. There was a tragic moment, for those of you who were around at the time, in the Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925. Some of you may have been. Grandpa was. In this moment, Clarence Darrow humiliated William Jennings Bryan, asking if he believed every word of the Bible. Have you heard this story? Do you believe every word of the Bible, said the famous lawyer. Bryan said he did, and Darrow asked him, how could the fish drown in the flood? Bryan couldn't answer. He gave a muddled, befuddled, confused speech, and Bryan died the next day. All Jennings Bryan needed was one verse to answer the question. Fish don't live on dry land or breathe the air. And the Bible says all that lived on the dry land, all that breathed the air died. Fish don't. If he had known his Bible, he would have had an immediate answer. If he had read the story, he would know how to respond. Fish don't breathe the air and live on dry land, and I haven't seen a salmon on our wetlands. I've looked, nothing there. But if you don't know your Bible, listen, if you don't know your Bible, you can still get on the ark, you can still be saved if you don't know your Bible, but I'll tell you something, cynical confrontations can kill your faith. You can just wipe it out. I can't answer that. Oh, the question's too big. And then the doubts come up, And the fear comes down. Next thing you know, your faith is delusion. And and, and like Williams, Jennings, Brian, Brian Jennings, William, whatever his name is, he died. And your faith can do the same, can be killed by these confrontations, which is why Paul says to Timothy, be diligent, 2 Timothy 2.15, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I know what the word says. And if I don't have the immediate answer, I will go to the word and get the answer. So That's all this lawyer needed to do was say, I'll come back and tell you tomorrow. I will bring you an answer to that. And go home and study his Bible. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness, gentleness and reverence. That's the invitation I was talking about. You're a walking invitation to salvation. When you open up an invitation, you don't have a blank card. You have words that show you where you're going and what time you're to be there and and how you're invited. Your life is that. Always be ready to make. A defense. Well, verse twenty-three continues, thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, to birds of the sky. They were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with all those who were with him on the ark. The water prevailed. The water prevailed, prevailed, prevailed. That word prevailed means strengthened violently or exceeded mightily. Four times we're told in the text here that the water prevailed. In verse 18, it increased greatly upon the earth and the ark floated. In verse 19, it prevailed more and more so that the high mountains everywhere were covered. In verse 19, the water prevailed 15 cubits higher than the highest Of mountains, Mount Everest is 29,029 feet above sea level, and add to that 22 to 26 feet of water. The pool I used to swim in growing up had a deep end of eight feet, and that terrified me. (coughs) 22 to 26 feet, based on the cubit, higher than the highest mountain on the planet. The water prevailed. And verse 24 says the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Well, wait a minute, I thought the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. Exactly. Flood disasters often are worse after the rain stops. And we, we know that. We've seen that in our own country. So what happens is you have 40 days and 40 nights of the rain coming down, the water surging up, and then we see a full 150 days of rising, surging, floodwaters across the entire planet as the water prevailed. And some still argue, after all this, it was a local flood. It was so local that all the animals of the earth had to get on board. You know, it was so local that the water covered the highest of the mountains on the earth. This was, to say this was a local flood is loco. <laughs> it makes no sense. Job said in Job 12, 15, behold, he restrains the water and they dry up. He sends them out and they inundate the earth. And that's the flood, completely inundating the planet. You know, along with Job and some 20 references in the Bible itself, wouldn't you expect that such an epic global flood event would show up in the stories and legends of other ancient cultures? I mean, when other people talk about it, come on, if there was really a flood, it does show up. And in the flood stories of ancient cultures, and there are many of them, 88% of all the ancient global flood stories describe a favored family saved in the flood. 70% of these global flood stories tell of survival by boat, 66% say it was the result of man's wickedness. teach that animals were rescued. 57% report that survivors landed on a mountaintop. And several of these accounts also support the notion, and by the way, this includes the Babylonian Gilgamesh tablet that gives a flood story of its own. They mention eight people were saved by number. They mention birds were sent out to see if the flood had receded. They mention a rainbow following the flood in the sky. Is it cultural coincidence or confirmation? People know what happened. Those who was there, them's what saw the flood, passed along by oral tradition, spoke of it again and again and again because the world could not ignore the flood And in addition to the Genesis account, which gives the most exacting and accurate collation of the historical event, as we have already seen, more than 200 ancient cultures have global flood stories. So we're not talking about something that's mythological. By the way, did the floodwaters, did they save Noah and his family? It's kind of a weird notion. No, (laughs) no. The flood didn't save Noah. He was saved from the flood. You could say Noah and his family were saved through the flood. Yeah, just as we go through another kind of water to be saved. You can turn there or just listen, but 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, a few that is eight persons were brought safely through the water the water didn't save them but they certainly were brought through the water peter says corresponding to that baptism now saves you not not the removal of dirt from the flesh we know that because we used to baptize in the gilmore's pond that was not to remove the dirt from the flesh Typically, we'd we'd encourage you to go shower afterward. But, But not as a removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Question, does water baptism in and of itself save me? And the answer is no. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man can boast. That is a key verse in all of the scriptures. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. <laughs> Memorize it. Know it. Give defense by it. We are saved by grace, but, but baptism as compared to the flood portrays waters of death, waters of burial, and rising out of the waters with the assurance of salvation of eternal life. It's a great picture. I'm going to end with this. Listen. Listen. Look back at verse 16. God always makes provision for salvation, right? Verse 16, those that entered male and female of all flesh entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. Only the word it is not there. Interesting phraseology. The Lord closed behind him. Now, regarding the door which there was one door on the ark, talked about Wednesday night, very strange that on a boat as big as the ark, huge, massive structure, one door. One way in, one way out, that's it. But Noah didn't close it. I think that is marvelous grace in and of itself. Noah didn't close the door. He got in, his family got in, the migratory animals got in, and the Bible tells us God closed God closed the door. Why? So that judgment would not be in Noah's hands. That he did not close people out. He, I don't know, and this is just surmised, but as the flood rotters began to lift up the ark, there may have been people outside rushing to it, trying to get in when it was too late. I don't know how loud the deluge was, how wild it may have been outside, not to mention how loud the animals may have been on the inside of the ark. So I don't know what Noah and his family could hear, but if they could hear anyone crying, Noah, open the door! Noah, save us! Noah could know beyond the shadow of a doubt this was out of his hands. He did not close the door on salvation. Guess what? Neither do you, and neither do I. That's not my call. Is this person saved? I don't know. I hope so. I think you see evidence when a person is saved. But it is not my call to make that judgment on another. If if someone's living and breathing, as I said earlier, no matter how rebellious they may be, no matter how sin sick they may act, can they be saved? Hey, the door's still open right now. And when the door closes, it is not me closing it. I leave the judgment in the hands of God. God not only, however, closes in judgment, but He closes for salvation. Noah gets in the ark, and the door was closed. You're tucked away, Noah. You're safe. Flood's gonna rage. You're safe. Life's gonna get hard. You're safe. It's gonna be difficult. The rains will come. Storms are going to blow. The boat's going to rock. But you have been closed in by the hand of the living God. You are safe. I've said so many times, but i got to repeat it. If I look at Jesus, I never, ever question my salvation. If I look at Rick, I question it all the time. Thank God my salvation is not based on me. Praise the Lord. The security of my salvation is based on him and what he did. He closed the door behind me. Psalm 139, verse 5, you have enclosed me behind and before, and you laid your hand on me. One of the most comforting verses in all the Bible. God's saying, I got gotcha. you. I've got you closed in safe and tight. And again, on the ark, there was only the one door. As I said, one way in, one way out. One way to open, one to close. John 10, verse 7, Jesus said, I am the door. He said in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Why was there one door on the ark? Because there's only ever one door for salvation, and that door's name is Jesus. And you enter through the door. Revelation 3, verse 7, Jesus describes himself as he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. And verse 1 tells us that the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. I love that word. It's a single word in the Hebrew. It's it's the first mention of this word. First time the word is used in all the Bible, and the word is bow in the Hebrew and it's literally translated come 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 into the ark Noah come and find salvation come and i will hymn you in come be saved this is used over and over and over in the hebrew scriptures we see it repeated in the greek uh, version in the new testament come come now the lord says isaiah 118 come Come, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. Or Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And Noah's name means rest. Come. Come in from the rain. Come to Jesus, come and be saved for life forever. Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And the one who is thirsty, come. And the one who wishes, take the water of life without cost.